Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Dao De Jing to uncover its timeless wisdom and apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm David Wang, executive coach. I'm joined by my co-host Yan Felton, a practicing psychotherapist. Hi, hi, Yan. Hey, David. Good to see you. Good to see you. Well, I want to also welcome our listeners、uh, to our session today, and、uh, we're close to the end of Dao De Jing, the whole book. After you know, a, maybe like a couple of years. Yeah, I think for you and I studying, it's been three years,、um, and we've been doing the podcast for a little more. Than a year, which is why our series kind of starts, I think, around chapter sixty-one or sixty-two.、Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been uh, enjoying uh, studying uh, this uh, this you know book、uh, with you.、Uh, you know this you know thousand-year-old book, and、uh, try to distill from it the things that we can learn. And、uh, you know, apply to our daily life. Same here. So, what do we, what do we got on in store for us today? Well, today we are going to study、uh, chapter eighty, and this chapter actually、uh, gives us Lao's vision for society, and also teaches us a lot about how to lead a good life. You know, what a life well lived. Looks like, so maybe we can dive in, and I will invite you to、um, read the original text, so we can immerse ourselves in it, and I'll provide a, a version of the translation. Cool. 调国，刮民，而有选拔之器而不用，而民穷词。而不允许，虽有周瑜，无所成之；虽有贾平，无所成之。使民富解绳而用之，干其事，美其服，安其居，乐其俗。邻国相望，既传之，上相闻。敏智老师，不相往来。Very good, very good. So,、um, you know, we know there are a lot of、uh, different versions、uh, to, tr-、uh, you know, in terms of translations. Today, I would like to use, you know, one of the versions I myself. Uh, like uh, uh, like a lot, and、uh, this is from the translation by Jonathan Starr、uh, mm-hmm. around two thousand one. So it's、uh, you know relatively speaking,、mm-hmm. <laughs> you know、yeah. tracing back the 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 oldest version is still pretty recent. So let me share with you and share with our listeners,、uh, you know, his version of the translation. Let every state 
be simple like a small village with few people. There may be tools to speed things up ten or a thousand or a hundred times, yet no one will care to use them. There may be boats and carriages, yet they will remain without riders. There may be armor and weaponry, yet they still sit collecting dust. The people must take death seriously and not waste their lives in distant lands. Let them return to the knotting of cord. Let them enjoy their food and care for their clothing. Let them be content in their homes and joyful in the way they live. Neighboring villages are within sight of each other. Roosters and dogs can be heard in the distance. Should a man grow old and die without every, without ever leaving his, leaving his village, let him feel as though there was nothing he missed. Yeah, I really like that translation. Yeah, yeah. When I read it, you know, I just、uh, cannot help、uh, thinking about. The world we are living in right now, you know, the how is it very different from the vision that Laozi had? Yes, it's very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So、uh, I'm curious about,、um, you know, as you,、uh, you know, as you study this、uh, chapter,、uh, you know, what jumped out of, you know. Uh, in your mind, particularly. Well, I just in in general, just how civilization and then technology have twisted up everybody's urges and minds and worldview in a way that. It, it seems pretty impenetrable. I mean, how deep. That kind of twisting is, and while we have all of these conveniences and and improvements, supposedly, just how unhealthy and dissatisfied most people seem to be. And, and so, what if there's some truth in what Lauts is saying? Mm-hmm. 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 Of course, during his time, you know, he, he didn't. You know, see what we are seeing now, right? In terms of, you know, technology such as AI or you know, machine learning, all that kind of stuff.、Um, I was wondering, you know, when he described what an ideal society looks like, was he trying to, you know, trying to kind of a, a see the return of an an older, you know, even. You know the, the society that before his time, as a society of almost like a Garden of Eden, or in living in his own chaotic world. We know at that time, all the states are trying to be bigger and bigger, right? They definitely they don't want to be like a small village.、Mm-mm. Maybe in looking at all the excessive behaviors, you know of the. The kings and you know those people in power, you know he was trying to reflect and trying to 
you know, create a more of a, a picture of a society, what society should look like. Is it something like a, a returning to the old day, good old, good old days, or is it create a vision for the future? What do you mm -hmm. think? Yeah, like is it is it kind of this kind of nostalgia, like something like yeah, make, make the village great again. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, I, I when I am asking this question, I realize you know my question could be you know maybe it could be both because mm -hmm. I think it you know our thinking about the past and the future, we tend to think oh this is the past, this is the present, this is the future. But a mm -hmm. lot of times, the past is living in the future, mm -hmm. uh, is living in the present. Mm -hmm. And then the present is emerging, is happening to shape the future. So mm -hmm. it's not as divided as we think. But you know, I'm just trying to you know, intellectually you know, wrestle with you <laughs> the, you know, what, what he's trying to say here. Yeah. I think that there's no question, though, that there was a, a period in time and human history where there just wasn't civilization. That mm -hmm. civiliz civilization emerged, and you know there was these different cradles of civilization. I think mm -hmm. current academics say there was around six, mm -hmm. and the Yellow River area was was one of those cradles of civilization so Lao Tzu represents to me one witness of the emergence of civilization someone who was also very well read I mean he was a librarian he yeah, ha yeah. had access to all the books yep we we don't know what what was in those books we don't know what he read like what did he what was he basing his worldview on? But I'm sure it was heavily influenced by whatever writings he had in store. I mean, maybe he was reading things from 200 years earlier where, you know, civilization would have been even newer and reading wisdom that has just been completely lost because, you know, we barely have Tao Te Ching, let alone whatever his sources were right but but that's one thing that we know for sure that that Lao Tzu was much closer in time to the history of humankind where we just we didn't live in cities we didn't live I mean e even in the villages that we had they would have been probably a lot more temporary probably would have been moving around more frequently Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so that for certain we know now. Now, whether or not Lao Tzu was sincere, and like I think one question to ask: How sincere was Lao Tzu in writing Chapter Eighty? Was he writing this as kind of knowing that it was sort of this utopian fantasy, or did mm -hmm. he really believe that this should be the structure for? human society part of it feels a little whimsical just even like the tone of it where i think he he probably kind of knew like this is never going to happen that humanity's going a different direction which probably explains why he 
fled civilization and into the mountains if if indeed Lao Tzu was a historical figure, which is still debated. Um, but nevertheless, this is this is what he really believed humankind could benefit from, which is essentially if we look at the themes in here, a simple life where people weren't materialistic or worried about um, efficiency and and profit that essentially they spent their day just focused on using their time to make their food taste good, to make their clothes look nice, mm-hmm. and spend time with each other. I mean, that's what he saw as being, like, that's the highest quality existence that you can have, where you're, you're not worried about everything going on in the world. You're not worried about conquering and expanding. You're just taking delight in food, clothes, and the company of your neighbors. Right, right. That's where I find that, you know, it's appealing uh, for a person even living in this age. So when I read that, you know, I, I said, oh, that's so, you know, it's kind of a review. Like, that's my own, like a little small voice, like yearning, too. Mm-hmm. And also, when I talk to my friends nowadays, uh, friends, including my own wife, <laughs> when we walk together, mm-hmm. we're good, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about all kinds of, you know, uh, memories and things happening in the world. She constantly goes back to the time when she was, you know, a little kid growing up with uh, her grandma and grandpa in a village near the Yellow River. Mm. Uh, The pictures she, you know, the pictures that flashed in her mind was, you know, the the watermelons, you know, try to, you know, run in the fields of a neighbor's watermelon. And it's so, you know, attractive. So Mm -hmm. they, they, they stole one and they, uh, (laughs) they cut it and they eat it. And also the starry skies, you know, in, in mm-hmm. the summertime, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of things. And I had the same feeling too, like uh, thinking about, oh, you know, I want to go, there's a kind of a yearning for return, maybe yearning for simplicity, yearning for self-sufficiency, yearning for some kind of a, you know, a sense of a contentment. Mm-hmm. So when I saw that, I said, gee, you know, we have gone so, you know, we have come, come a long way uh, living in this technologically connected world, but I still have that yearning. You know, that picture he painted, part of it is still very appealing to me. Mm-hmm. How, how do you feel like when, when, you, when you read those things? You know, part of you says, oh, can we return to it, right? Just mm-hmm. as you said, maybe he was at that time realistic to realistically realized that, you know, there's no return, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, the way he described it still said a lot that he had that yearning too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot of appeal and for me personally and what he, he writes. And I think 
when you look at there's kind of like different levels of of stress in the world there's kind of like the global stress where right <laughs> we look at the themes of supply chain stress <laughs> supply chain stress um climate change stress yeah then there's there's the stress of crime you know the sudden outbreak of crime across the united states there's all the tensions between people with different worldviews there's the the political stress and so all that stress then impacts people at different levels of of organization and then finally at the the personal level but then that also creates stress within the family and then family members are stressed and it, it affects harmony in the house so we can look at at the global level how all these global stresses where the people in charge are trying to make a global system where these supply chains where where countries are specializing in tiny little pieces of the supply chain basically making the world like a one big factory where you know Brazil focuses on nuts and oils and beef and whatnot, and some other country focuses on rare earth m- materials and you know manufacturing, etc. And then it all comes together in a way where we're we're shipping the stuff to even these tiny little corners of the planet and. And we look at the end result of that, that we're seeing it's creating all of the stress. And yeah, yeah, exactly. So exactly. Why are we I, doing it? Yeah, yeah. Well, the older argument for globalization is because we uh, specialize, then we improve efficiency. And also because we are creating that as a global quote unquote factory. So we start to depend on each other. So that's the, uh, so that means like our uh, our destiny are intertwined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the old argument. But what's happening is it seems like that reality. Let's say you know this Apple uh, smart, you know Apple smartphone, right? Mm-hmm. So you have different pieces. You have the uh, you know you, you know it's like all you know what the economists say is the division of labor, right? So that division of labor bring all parts of the supply chain together to produce that final product. But it seems like that hasn't the reality hasn't supported that older argument. Because of that inconnectivity, the world becomes more harmonious mm-hmm. and we are all living happily together. So there must be some missing piece in there uh, that we know that this globalization maybe is helpful in certain ways because we are all connected, right, through economy. But it doesn't, it seems to create lots of problems. That's what I see. Yeah. If by bringing the world together, they mean everyone in the world is stressed out and, and anxious, then, then that's yes, not I a, guess it's... That's not where we don't want to go, right? Yeah, but that's kind of where where that's where, where we are. are. 
yeah, that's where we are. The uh, unrest, glo- global unrest. Global unrest, right. So it didn't work. I mean, yeah, maybe we're not dropping bombs on each other, but if there's peace, but everyone's miserable and unhealthy, I mean, look at the sickness and disease, mm-hmm. diabetes, obesity, heart disease, cancer, the pollutants everywhere that's making people's bodies inflamed with um, just pollutants. Um, no, it, 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 it didn't work. So if the dream was that, yes, there will be countries would be intertwined and economies would be intertwined and that would create less conflict, maybe it did at the um, scale of, of militaries, but the effect on people is now just, it's constant stress. Right. And, and not just people working in the factories, it's people working in companies who have jobs and cubicles and right. You know, look at all the disaffected people who aren't even working now. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So we cannot go back to the past exactly, right? And so where do we go from there? Like if we don't, let's say, take, uh, you know, what's being described here uh, by Lao Tzu, like too literally, does that give us any hint in terms of how we imagine, how we reimagine our world Mm -hmm. based on human yearnings and human, you know, notion of, what a what a good life might be yeah i mean i think you know we we went from being kind of these um pawns of um religion and monarchs and you know, these kind of institutions into being consumers where, you know, now we're, we're kind of pawns of corporations, but, um, to get to some other place, we're going to have to kind of renounce our role as just being these kind of domesticated consumers who have traded quality of life for having our every desire and urge met instantaneously. I mean, it's it's why when you go to the grocery store, there's 500 different types of chips on the shelves. It's so that everyone can kind of have their kind of chip that satisfies them and mm-hmm. caters to their specific kind right. of urge. And we feel that it empowers us, but it actually has done the opposite. It's we've become slaves to our urges and desires and corporations have exploited that and figured it out. And politicians have exploited it and figured it out. And and that's why like we're all act, our country is acting like a bunch of overgrown babies mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we've all become kind of these pampered mm-hmm. consumers um and corporations and politicians have figured out how to exploit that so 
we have to kind of be willing to grow up and and I don't know that we're going to do that. So you're pessimistic about the possibility of growing out of this? Like we have fallen into a trap, it seems like we're being using your word domesticated mm -hmm. or enslaved in some way, losing our personal power mm -hmm. to be yeah. autonomous, to be, you know, we're, we're, mm -hmm. we're, we're like a control by our larger force. It seems. Yeah. And I would say that it, it, it's actually that it's the base desires of being a human, you know, our, our greediness and, and envy and, and all that stuff. That's the larger force, but corporations and politicians have learned how to use it to, to control us, to, to keep us kind of in this con constant consumer state where we would much rather be safe, secure, not really have to provide for ourselves within this system that kind of like you can sleepwalk your whole life through. I mean, you don't have to really even try that hard. You just kind of follow the path and, you know, you can go from cradle to grave mm -hmm. without much, much independent thought in, involved. And so we've exchanged that kind of security and, and having our every urge met, but we're dissatisfied, we're sick, we're unhealthy, we're worried, we're stressed all the time. I mean, just like a, just like when you hear about these factory and these animals raised in these factory settings that are, you know, they're stressed out and all the stress that they are, are feeling from being domesticated and, and these really constrictive ways and the impact that it has and like the skin disorders that they get and the mm -hmm. cancer. It's mm -hmm. like, it's the same thing that we, that we have because we're in the same condition. I mean, look at how constricted our lives are. I mean, we're all on these schedules, these tight schedules. And yeah. Yeah. All these demands and, you know, we got to keep up with the news and keep up with social media and keep up with our shows and keep up with our kids events. And I mean, we're not, there's not much autonomy there. I mean, we have this illusion, but then we go to the grocery store and we can pick from 500 bags of chips. And so we feel like we have all this freedom. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You're describing this state um, of mind or state of, you know, life. Uh, I remember in the early nineties, uh, when I first came to the United States, uh, you know, as a young man, um, mm -hmm. uh, it felt, you know, uh, I, I had as a, 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 you know, uh, a sense, a new sense of like a freedom, uh, studying and, and living in this country. Uh, I got very anxious when I went back to mm. China to visit my families back there, because, you know, I find that, you know, I have to switch psychologically from one state to the other. 
uh, meaning like, uh, you know, if I, you know, plan my vacation and go back, I need to think about, I'm very anxious. I need to think about, there's a lot of social pressure there, mm-hmm. like to show them that you are successful mm-hmm. in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. So when I go get, I came back, you know, I have this deep sigh, a deep breath and of freedom, especially driving on the highway. And suddenly no one will ask you, you know, mm. what you're, you know, what are you supposed to do? So that social pressure that, you know, contain, constrained sense wasn't there anymore. Now I felt maybe because of the deepening of the connect, interconnectivity, what you're describing is like a spreading all over the world, I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that stress is, you know, much deeper because of mm-hmm. the technology, because how, you know, work is divided among people and nations. Yeah, I just learned the word Neijuan. Um, yes, yeah. And just in, in China now where my my teacher, she put it as, Maybe in the past, there was one teaching job and 10 people were applying for it, which is still pretty competitive. I mean, if you're competing yeah. against 10, but she's like, no, now it's like there's one job and there's 200 people all trying to get that job. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's interesting. Do you, is there an equivalent of Neijuan in the United States? Because I remember the, one of the videos I share with you. Uh, mm-hmm. about the guy who wanted to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, you know, in this country, in this culture, it's all about winners, kind mm-hmm. of a winners take it all. If you are not winners, then you are nobody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's definitely an, an element of it, and I think that's a psychological impact. I think the the dictionary translation the English dictionary translation of Neijuan would be the rat race. I and, see, rat race. And basically, you know, people turning into these anxious, aggressive animals kind of like clawing over each other to get the resources. And what's interesting, though, is that in, in our society now... <laughs> yeah, it's not a... It's not a... I still feel like there are some parts of the society kind of is aware of what's going on, but mm. it's not as widespread. I feel like like in China, everybody, mm. no matter yeah, where mm-hmm. where you are in a society, everybody believes they have a chance to join that rat race. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I, I think it's starting to happen that they start to disbelieve the rat race. That's why Nature yeah. and... Uh, they, they, they are giving up right now. Yeah. But I think for a period of time, everyone believes they have a chance. Mm-hmm. Maybe United States maybe has more as a society, more evolved. In other words, you know, people sort out their own nature, so they choose their own game. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean the pressure isn't there. It's just, you know, the country is big enough. The opportunities are more, uh, you know, are many. So mm-hmm. that it doesn't become a whole society thing. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the it seems like that reaction to Neijuan and in, in China is already there with Tang Ping, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not much I can do, especially among the young people. That's yeah. what they think. Yeah. So it's just like just Tang Ping's translation being just just lie down, lie down because you know just lie flat like a table because I can't do this anymore. Exactly. So that's the the mindset that worries a lot of the uh, older generation parents mm -hmm. because that's how they. It wasn't. Obviously, it wasn't how they lived their life because their mm -hmm. life was on the upward mobility. They feel like they have a chance. Now they see their kids or lying down there, <laughs> literally. So they are worried. And also the government is worried because, mm -hmm. you know, government officials, the leaders have all these, you know, lofty ambitions. There you go. So let's and look e at that. And the ego too. Yeah. And yeah. they, they, yeah. And, and their ego. I mean, it's hard sure. to sort out whether it's their own ego, they want the whole nation to be uplifted. Uh, let's hope not. But, mm -hmm. you know, when they see this mindset, they feel that the motivation is not there anymore. Mm -hmm. So that means whatever communication or, uh, let's say, propaganda, uh, or communications, it's not. It's going to fall on deaf ears. So that worries about them. Yeah, and and so let's look at the irony of this cycle where you're talking about the older generations worrying about that, and of course, where did these older generations come from? They came from the rural places, from the villages. Yes. wanted wanted their kids to have quote unquote a better life, and by a better life we mean a materialistic life with more riches, with more material goods, with more convenience, etc. Exactly. And then let's look at the consequence of that, which is this rat race that has emerged. And now you've got the new generation. And what are they now all dreaming of? They're, why is uh, Litsichi so popular? They all want to go back to the villages. They want to all go back to this simplistic life in the rural areas where they don't have all this stuff they, they they want to just go back to the place where these older generations came from it seems exactly exactly yes and so there's some something about that that's just so ironic and then you have to ask yourself well, well where is the push for all this to come from and i think that you kind of spelled some of it out which is that it's the people at the top who they want the rat race because obviously there's a ton of profit in it and there's a ton of power in it and so who benefits from this way of life, this consumer way of life that everyone around the world has been pitched, it's not the people. It's not the people who are subject to it and are living it. It's a few people at the top who, they're the ones that have the actual freedom and quality of life and everyone else is just in this stressed out, sick existence where eating pollutants, living in pollutants, seeing habitats and the environment destroyed, anxious, stressed out, um, 
getting no satisfaction, no matter how many conveniences and brands of chips are on the shelves. And now you have a whole generation of people in China who they just want to go back to a rural existence and make clothes and, and pick fruit and make delicious food and simple, um, with a simple stove and using firewood. Yeah. 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 Which reminds me of, you know, perhaps the young people in the 1960s, uh, historically, because there was a period that the younger people in the West are anti-establishment, mm -hmm. meaning they want to live a life of, you know, they can choose. Yep. Have, right. More choose. Freedom. That's yeah. That's focus on that choosing part too. At some yeah. Point. Yeah. Yeah. The choice part. The choice part, yeah, because that's what got hijacked. You know, the the that the young people in the '60s they they wanted the freedom to choose, and what happened is is that um, public relations corporations they figured that out, and what they did is just packaged it up. I mean, that's again, that's exactly what got hijacked, and that's why when you go to the grocery store, there's ten thousand varieties of yogurt because that's what they figured out. Well, if you give people the choice to say like, oh yeah, I define myself and my identity through the particular brand of product I buy or particular type of packaging that I buy or the things that I buy, they'll have that sense of being, having a choice and being an individual. But the reality is that no, they're just still playing the game it's just it got hijacked right yeah i mean let's pursue that idea it sounds like when you say hijack and also the kind of choices they made available uh you know it's very superficial sweet freedom exactly right and what people are yearning for is the, the is the kind of the real freedom they can experience in life mm -hmm. yeah which is, which Lao Tzu says is through simplicity, like actually taking away all of the options is what would satisfy people. Even to the point of saying like, stop writing, like e even stop worrying about all this knowledge and reading all this stuff. Just spend time with your hands, making your food, making your clothes, probably just meditating a lot, just watching nature, watching what's happening with the weather, what's what's listening to the sounds of nature. Yeah. Yeah. I like the observation you just made about the true freedom comes from simplicity. Because immediately I thought about, you know, my coaching work. Mm in the corporate world, that people sometimes are inhibited, like they are self-censoring themselves, meaning they don't feel they can freely speak up their mind. Is the desire or is the need they feel to maintain their lifestyle? Mm -hmm. So if their lifestyle, they want to maintain it meaning yeah. with the big houses, cars, and 
expensive vacations. Yeah, status. So that's not a simple life, right? Mm -hmm. That's a life, you know, they create first in their mind and then through their effort, they build in the external world. Okay, now that becomes, you know, something that, you know, they have to maintain it, but the cost of maintaining it is, is to lose their freedom. Mm -hmm. Meaning, even freedom and courage to say what they say, because you are playing a role. So if that role doesn't fit into the agenda of the big machine, then you just keep silent, pretending mm -hmm. it's not happening. Mm -hmm. so that's one example I can think of. Simplicity and freedom has a correlation in here. I mean, in this chapter. I mean, it's even ironical, you're saying that, you know, people at that, you know, in that kind of a simple lifestyle, they feel like they feel they have enough. That's, that, that, that's yeah. ironical when you say today, we have far, far more materialistically. But who will say, I have enough? I mean, every people will feel like everyone will feel like, oh, not good yet. Oh, not mm -hmm. enough yet, psychologically. Mm -hmm. That's the very ironical thing to see, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, all these people are dissatisfied, and so they keep pushing for more, and it's like what they actually want is to, to stop. Like, they just, they what? They, deep inside, they just want to stop, but they, they can't. Yeah. So given what's happening, I have another question, like a, a pragmatic one. We know in order to, uh, to feel more freer, you have to live a life simpler. But there's also in pressure around you, say, around that simplicity, right? Almost like as a start, to start that a path, you have to, you know, work against the grains. You have to be you know, a, against the cultural trends to go that way. So how do you do that? You know, and, and, and that's why this thing keeps going because the reality is look at Lao Tzu's story and he doesn't say anything in here about the individual going and building a cottage in the woods. He's, he's talking about whole communities. Mm, mm. And, and so even if an, an one individual decides, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm going to go live a simple life. You can't do it on your own. You can't, you can't just go and, and be this person. I mean, you can, and some people do, but the point is, is that for most people, that's not an option. We were born into this way of life. That's all that we no, we can't just decide, oh, I'm going to go and, you know, have this simple village life. There, there's no village. There's no village to, right, go, to. to go to. So, you know, to use a, a, a phrase from somebody's book, it takes a village to educate a person. Mm -hmm. uh, it almost sounds like, based on what you're saying, it takes a village to build a village, right? It's not an mm -hmm. individual effort. Yeah, it's so, got to be mm -hmm. 
like a, some kind of a corp, uh, collect, collective effort. Yeah. So, you know, you, you would have to have hundreds of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people decide all at once. We're all going to get off this thing at the same time. And we're just going to go and, you know, build some simple villages and live simply. And that's where, I mean, that's just not going to happen. What do you mean? I mean, you're not going to just see hundreds of thousands of people all of a sudden give up their urban or suburban lifestyles and go and start these simple villages all at the same time. Right. That's so dramatic. Yeah. Maybe so, it takes yeah. a time. There's a, a tipping point. And if there was, I think, I mean, this is where at the beginning you said, you asked if I had a pessimistic view and it's like, mm -hmm. I don't think it's pessimistic. I think it's realistic. I think people only make changes when most of the time people make changes when they're forced to. Like when and, it's painful enough? Yeah, because as painful as this globalized way of life is and how just dissatisfying it is, right? it's not so painful that people are willing to make a big change for because people are even more afraid of uncertainty. I mean, yes, we yes. get addicted to the familiar even if the familiar makes us mildly chronically sick and anxious and dissatisfied, we will keep choosing that because it's familiar and we know how to do it. Right. It's more scary to be, you know, to be in that wilderness, right? The wilderness yeah. of uncertainties. You would rather su suffer chronic, mild, you know, anxiety, like mm -hmm. a lot of people are suffering. Mm -hmm compare with another scenario that you push yourself into the, into the forest, right? Yeah. You know, you don't know what's there, but isn't that is the, the, the treadmill itself. Like, you know, the people who see through this, like in a power, they will continue to capitalize on that. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? Like they, yeah. they, they kind of understand either intuitively or maybe, um, you know, through their intelligence, they say, oh, look at these people. They're so scary. They're scary mm -hmm. enough. Uh, they're so scary that they don't, you know, they will complain, you know, mm -hmm. they will write nasty words in the employee survey, but they will never leave. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's wielding that dissatisfaction. And that's the thing that these people have figured out. I mean, that's why the politics are so divisive now, because none of the people at the top are actually sincere in thinking that um, they're really going to work on making society better. I mean, even the people, the, the progressive politicians, I mean, it's a brand. Like they're not sincere about it. They're no, I mean, they're they're. I think that there's some people who are sincere mm. activists, but I mean, that's why there's all these different brands of media now, because the whole point is they're going to sell everyone their own personalized view of the world and feed into it. So, you know, that move away from when there was a, a better social fabric, when there was three network news stations, it's because everyone pretty much saw the world 
pretty similarly because we all watch the same news when it's like we've left that behind now it's just going to be this hyper real existence where there's going to be 20 different brands of news which means 20 different brands of worldviews and some of that's going to be the MAGA version and some of it's going to be the woke version and some of it's going to be the centrist (laughs) version and none of those people are actually sincere and working toward creating a shared view of America anymore. Like that ship has sailed. What, what, what do you mean by sincere? I mean, the older popular, uh, older politicians were more sincere than all these brands. Well, can, can you define that sincerity? How does that, what yes. is that is? Yeah. So this is exactly what it is, is that, there used to be some expectation that a, a competent politician actually would have a strategy and a plan and try to put it in place. Yes. And and now, again, it goes back to this whole catering to people's desires. Uh, uh, elections no longer, I mean, democratic in the sense of um, taking the opinions of, of people and, and trying to figure out what people actually want and, and implementing it. It's about figuring out who the swing voters are right? Using, yeah. and finding out what they desire and then running platforms to try to capture those swing voters. So now it's like narrowly defined where, okay, we know that 90% of these Democrats they're going to vote for us no matter what. So, you know, we don't necessarily have to appeal to their desires. We're going to narrow in on these swing voters. This is why the wind blows so quickly with things like defund the police, where there was this huge defund the police movement, and that's all you heard, abolish the police, defund the police, until it turned out that the people deciding elections actually didn't, (laughs) want that, that there was all this violent crime. And so, you know, when, um, so that's more, you know, realistic and pragmatic, right? That's the true voice, right? Through the, the voting results, as opposed to the older slogans popping out of the factories of these brands. Yeah. And, and as soon as they saw that people, um, Mm. like the, like the new mayor of New York was actually, a former police officer and said, no, we're going to be more serious about crime. And, and he wins yeah. the, the election. I mean, the wind blew a completely different direction then. And, and, you know, and then over and over you saw across the country where, you know, suddenly at the local level, people who supported defunding the police were, were losing. And then all of a sudden the messaging changes. And so, there isn't the sincere effort that that we're actually going to solve problems. It's I see. what what do the swing voters want, and what messaging are we going to put out there to capture their vote, and then you know it, it, how how much is is going to change? I mean, probably very little. I don't I don't know. I see. So by sincerity, you mean really a desire to solve the real problem. As yes. opposed to cater to these superficial ide- uh, desires, just like you of a narrow heard, portion of the population, right? A narrow portion of the population, or that super, uh, superficiality is, uh, you know, 
akin to you know all these brands of the toothpaste on the shelf. Is it yeah, that exactly. it's not it's it's a, it's a fake. It's a it's, it's a very fake. superficial, it's a very inch thin kind of uh desire as opposed yeah. to like in the past uh, you know you know we really like through policies through analysis mm-hmm. you know we really want to look at the problem we want to solve it and sometimes mm-hmm. even maybe there's some resistance you know there's like a dis, like a unpopularity mm-hmm. you know we're not popular but you know we can but still you want to you want to do something about the problems yeah and and now that's just not the case i mean it's 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 pr it's it's marketing mm-hmm. and regardless of all these you know polarized views in the country people are we're united in the fact that we're all doing the same thing we're out there you know on social media making money for the social media companies we're out there working jobs that we don't necessarily want and so we can have as polarized of views as as we want the system has figured out how to basically keep going even though we're more miserable than ever i mean we're really terribly psychologically messed up but where we're united is that we're all still feeding the same system and the system is getting fed and satisfied and so there's no real sincere effort to change that. I mean, do you think social media is going to I mean, it's just going to keep doing what it's been doing. Right, um, right, yeah. right. You know, I share with you, you know, the a sense of um maybe it's partially because of my of my age hmm. or maybe it's more information. I feel I become more jaded than my younger self. So in other words, you know, in the past, I could, you know, tears can, can very easy, you know, come mm. to my eyes when I mm. hear inspirational speeches. Mm-hmm. Now, the first thing that pops in my mind is, is that true? You know, mm-hmm. am I, you know, this person who is making whatever speech, mm. you know, is there a hidden agenda? Yeah, That's the first thing that comes to my mind. And I imagine that will probably come up in other people's mind, too, in the world mm-hmm. we're living in. Yeah, because people have been burned so many times. I mean, just like Barack Obama, I mean, he gave great speeches. Yep. At the same time, I mean, he was escalating drone strikes in Afghanistan and making very favorable policies, you know, not necessarily for the working class. So, I mean, yeah, he gave great speeches, but... I mean, he pretty much just kept the same thing going that had been going. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hate to end our discussion because the natural human desire is to end with a positive note. But I, you know, I want to be, you know, genuine, you know, to have our conversation. I do feel like what we've been discussing, there's a, you know, like a, a, a reality basis in how we each as an individual and as a group feel. And, uh, you know, I think all that maybe we could say is we are still seekers. You know, we're mm-hmm. trying to figure out maybe we can learn a little bit from the wisdom, uh, mm-hmm. you, know, uh, you know, figure out the answer how to, uh, to gain that real wisdom, you know, through simplicity. 
you know that's yeah. what keeps us keep learning <laughs> keep learning and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and you know something like uh, Laozi which definitely speaks a different tone and voice than a lot of the people in power nowadays mm -hmm. you know so that's you know maybe a deeper reason why you know we we immerse ourselves in this ancient text which is very hard to understand but once you overcome the language barriers you really see wow you know there's a lot to be learned and think about mm. from that uh, 5000 characters or 5000 words mm -hmm. thank you thank you uh ian you know really enjoyed the exchange and also again as always we thank our listeners for listening in on our conversation and uh you know hopefully you know in the near future uh you you listeners can also join us in this conversation <laughs>